I'm the youth pastor here at Fellowship of the Rockies, and I'm going to be teaching for us this weekend. I'm excited to bring a message to you out of the book of First Peter, First Peter chapter 3. And so if you've been with us for any amount of time here at Fellowship of the Rockies, you know that uh, whenever I come and teach while Pastor Charlie is, is out, I've been walking through the book of First Peter. And it's kind of your sermon series on the side. Pastor Charlie's been walking through the Beatitudes, and he has a few more of those to walk through, and I'm going to walk us through another piece of First Peter. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to the book of First Peter chapter 3, that's where we'll be together this weekend. And so this book, uh, I, I can't speak for you, I've enjoyed walking through it, um, but what I like about this book is that it has a very expressed purpose. Uh, Peter's not hiding the ball here about what he's trying to do, okay? In his second letter uh, that is written to dispersed Jewish Christians all over the place, he mentions that both of his letters were written with the goal of encouraging believers through reminder. So his goal is to encourage us by reminding us what's already been written about us through the law and the prophets, the Torah, the Ketuvim, the Nevi'im, all of the writings of the Old Testament. He is drawing on all of that information, all of that theological base and, and writing on it to remind us who we are. He reminds us of Jesus' teachings, who he says we are, what he says is called of us to do in this life. And so it makes our job very easy. We sit here and we become encouraged by the word that Peter has for us today. And so that's the goal as we approach the text today. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll read the verses in just a minute, uh, but for us to understand where, what all Peter is saying today, we kind of have to catch up. So I'm going to summarize a little bit of what his first letter is about. He begins the letter by talking about the living hope that is Jesus, and that is a theme that he writes all throughout his first two letters, is a lot about the living hope that is Jesus Christ, right? And he writes about the invitation that we have into a new hope based on Jesus, a new identity, a new family uh, that is built around faith in him. And then he talks about the road that we're all on together, this road from hope to holiness. It's a process called sanctification. It's, it's spiritual formation. It's the transformation of who we are into disciples of Jesus. It's how God molds us. And we do that as a community. We get to do that together. We experience it together. And then Peter begins to talk about identity in some beautiful poetic language. Uh, he talks about how uh, disciples are spiritual temples built to give spiritual sacrifice. And he reminds us that we are a royal priesthood. Every one of us is part of a royal priesthood. We're a chosen nation and a holy generation. I might have flipped that. It might be holy nation, chosen generation. Either way, that's what he gives us as far as identifiers for who we are as followers of Jesus. And then he steps into the action-oriented part of our life, and he talks about the discipline of submission. And he actually gives a lot of airtime to this in his letter. He talks about the discipline of submission and what it means for us to say, you know what, I don't have to have my way. I'm content in who I am as a follower of Christ, and I don't have to have my way in every part of my life. That's what submission is about. And he talks about three different relationships that we see that manifest itself in. He talks about the Christian and the crown, right? The Christian relationship to government. He talks about that that discipline in the relationship of slaves and masters. He talks about that discipline once again between men and women in the bond of marriage. And that leads us all the way up into where we're at today, which is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. So that's where we've been. That's, those are the themes that Peter is drawing on to encourage us. And he's going to take a few steps forward. So let's, let me give you a roadmap of where we're headed. What we're going to do is we're going to read our scripture together today. We'll pray, and then we'll talk a little bit of, of like 30,000-foot level explainer-type ideas. We're just going to look at it from a bird's-eye view for a few moments. And then what we're going to do is begin to ask questions of the text. We have two questions that we're going to walk through, and that will lead us into application. Does that sound good to you guys this morning? 
It does. Yeah. Is, thank you, Deb. Yes. Very excited. And I'm glad you're excited because you didn't have a choice. I worked really hard on this and this is what I got. <laughs> this is where we ended up. So 1 Peter chapter 3, if you would turn there, if you haven't already, I know I've been rambling. I've given you more than enough time to get to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Let me read them for us this morning. It says this, finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing yourselves. For it's written, the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Let's pray as we continue this morning. Bow your heads with me. Jesus, we love and we trust you. And we just simply ask that you speak to us through your servant Peter this morning. He's been encouraging the lives of believers for thousands of years at this point. And so, Lord, we just ask you to encourage us through his word this morning. Jesus, it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, this piece of scripture, we're going to talk a little bit of uh, 30,000 foot level. And so this passage can be broken up in about three different directions. The first part of this passage is Christian virtues. He says, be like-minded, sympathetic, compassionate, humble, gentle towards one another. These, these virtues or values are all over the New Testament. R.C. Sproul writes, he's a theologian uh, who passed away just a few years ago. He writes a lot about these Christian virtues and how all of them are just recycled. They are all over the New Testament. They are all over the Old Testament. It is not the first time, if you have read any part of scripture, it's not the first time that you've been told by the Bible, be sympathetic and be compassionate. It's not the first time you've heard that. In fact, it's probably not the first time Peter has said it in his letter. He's already given us these virtues, okay? And these virtues carry their themes that are all across Scripture. And so, so here's the idea behind that, is that these, these attributes wouldn't just be something that we do, but they become who we are. What I think about it is, is like soup, like a good chicken noodle soup. What goes in chicken noodle soup? Chicken and noodles, maybe some carrots, maybe peas. You got broth, salt and pepper, all those good things. All those um, pieces of the soup are no longer individual things. It's no longer all of those things doing their own thing. They're now just soup. They're just lumped together. It's just soup. And that's what it looks like in the life of a believer. We no longer just do humble things. We become humble people. We no longer just do compassionate things. We become compassionate people. They're not just ingredients that we try to shape our actions by. No, it's becoming who we are. We become soup. We become soup made of those attributes. That's the idea, okay? So that's the first part of the text. The second part, verse 9, transitions, talks a little bit about relational conflict. And it says, don't repay back evil for evil or insult for insult. Repay that with blessing. And this is also mirrored of a really famous passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 12, where Paul writes almost the exact same thing, okay? Romans chapter 12, the back end of that chapter, you should read it after our time together. It mirrors 1 Peter 3. It's, it's like they're using the same exact words the entire time. Paul just uses more of them. And then Paul comes to this uh, at the end of chapter 12. There, a really famous piece of scripture where it says, don't overcome evil with evil, but conquer evil with good. And we quote that one all the time. Peter just said the exact same thing here. Don't repay evil for evil, but repay it with 
blessing, but it sounds cooler when you use the word conquer, conquer evil with good. It just sounds better. And so we quote that one more. But those, those two passages are mighty similar. It's almost like these guys knew each other, did ministry together, and followed Jesus. You know, they're fishing from the same pond is the idea, okay? They're talking about these virtues that are not new. This is not new content. These are themes they're picking up throughout Scripture. And then the back half of that scripture that we read this morning, Peter quotes from Psalm chapter 34, which is the same psalm that I read about the back half of it or so for us during the word of encouragement. But this psalm is obviously deep on Peter's heart. Here's why we know that. It's because he quotes it three times in his letter. Last night, I told them he quoted it twice. I was reading 1 Peter this morning. Turns out he quotes it three times. So, so you get the more truthful message this morning is basically what I'm saying to you. He quotes Psalm 34 three times in his letter to the people. And he wouldn't do that unless it was really formative for him. It was really formative. We can even imagine him uh, as he's writing this letter or in the group of people who is writing this letter, uh, having Psalm 34 in the room with them. It's very likely that he had a scroll that, that he knew, this is, this is what I want people to remember. This is how I'm going to encourage them, is using Psalm chapter 34. And so he uses it in chapter 2, two different times. One, to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, that's a quote from Psalm 34. And then he also uh, rips this quote that's a very famous one, uh, talking about Jesus, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's also a part of Psalm 34. And then it walks into this idea of pursuing peace and having the Lord's face shine on you, which is the part that he quotes in our moment, in our scripture today in verses 10 through 12. That is like 30,000 foot flyover, okay? That's like the general idea of what we're going for. So what, what I'd like to do next is, is begin to ask some questions of the text, um, because that's how we take it from a 30,000 foot bird's eye view, and we kind of take ourselves down in elevation a little bit. My goal is by the end of this morning, by the end of this 9 a.m. service, that, that we have taken this text, and we've seen it at the 30,000 foot level, and we take it to about a 5'7", 5'10", level, okay, somewhere around average height. That's the goal. I want us to be able to take this text and really apply it. I want us to see ourselves using this text in our life, and we can do that. We just have to ask the questions, and the first one is this. What is Peter trying to do here? What's he trying to create here? And here's why we have to ask this question is because we've seen Peter just take a bunch of content that's recycled, right? We see these virtues and we're like, man, uh, I've heard that before. Uh, and then the part about repaying good for evil and you're like, well, I've, I've read Romans 12. I've heard that part before. And then Psalm 34, obviously you just stole somebody else's work. Isn't that plagiarism? Is that like allowed in the Bible? Um, and so it's easy to blow over a passage like this because we can see that it's like, it's kind of repeated stuff. It's themes that we've heard of before. These aren't foreign concepts, so it makes it easy to just run through this and not consider what Peter is actually trying to do. So we have to ask ourselves, what is Peter trying to do or create in this moment? And here's what I believe he's trying to do. I believe that by naming these, um, these attitudes, these attributes, and by talking about these things, he's actually really giving us characteristics of God. He's giving us attributes of God. And so I believe that Peter wants to see a group of human beings return to their initial purpose, being image bearers of God. In other words, a community of people that reflect God's attributes. All of these attributes that we read, being like-minded and sympathetic, loving one another, being compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil, but returning evil with blessing. These are all attributes of God. And for us to be image bearers of God, that means that we reflect his own attributes. And so I believe Peter wants the believers to be on the same page about their goals as a community, which is reflecting these virtues. 
we're all accomplishing, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're all accomplishing something bigger than ourselves. These virtues, they aren't just individual things, but they're also descriptors of what the church community as a whole should be. So, so like I said before, it's like, you know, it's, it's like a bigger soup than the soup before. It's like if we added two soups together, all right? So you got the soup that is like the Christian, and they've got these uh, attitudes about them that they're no longer just doing kind things, but they're becoming kind people. That type of idea, that's the soup. The idea is that we're one big soup as a church because we're all a compassionate community. We are all a gentle community shaped by the Father. That's the goal. We're a part of something bigger than ourselves. And this first sentence uh, of, of the text here in verse 8 actually lends itself to this idea. And here's why. This, this first phrase, finally all of you be like-minded, okay? This, my translation this is the CSB translation, takes the concept idea of that word, and so it's not wrong, it's, it's just not together bringing the illustration that I think Peter wanted to have here. The Greek word there for like, like-mindedness is omophron. I have no idea how to say it, I just know that that's like, it's H-O-M-O-P-H-R-O-N, okay? I know how it's spelled, I don't know how to say it. I know just enough Greek to be dangerous and not really know what I'm talking about, okay? But that's the word he uses, and there are other translations, specifically the NASB translation translates this phrase, live harmoniously, live in harmony. That's the idea. And so, and so I actually think that, this, that the idea of harmony illustrates this in a really beautiful way way because we are part of something bigger than ourselves. So, so harmony is obviously like a musical term, but that's, where we're, that's kind of the idea that we're going to spend a lot of our time with tonight, harmony and unity, or sorry, this morning, excuse me, harmony and unity, that's where we're going. And so harmony is obviously a very musical term, okay, but it's, it's basically when, when two notes are not the same note, but they're part of the same chord, so they're accomplishing the same thing, okay? I'd give you a better definition, but when I read definitions online, I was just more confused than I was before. So how about I just show you what I'm talking about here? Well, I'll show you a little bit of harmony. We'll see. My wife thinks I'm musically challenged, so. If you heard me singing just a few minutes ago, you'd, you'd probably agree with her. So, so let's talk harmony for a second. So that, that right there, that is a C note. That's, D, that's E right there. C and E together, ooh, they sound good together. That's because they're in harmony with one another. They are both part of the C chord. They're different notes, but they're part of the same chord. Different notes, same chord. And this is kind of what it's like when you meet another Christian in the workplace, in, at the mall, something like that. Um, for me, I had a friend in college who I met uh, through an astronomy class. His name was Reese. Um, I did not know what was going on in that astronomy class. I had no clue what was going on. Uh, Reese seemed like he knew more about what was going on in that class. So when it came time for the group project, Reese, you're my new best friend, right? Because I need help with this, right? So I pulled my bag over to where Reese is sitting. He was just a few chairs down, and we talked a few times. But we didn't really know each other at this point. And lo and behold, my Bible is sticking out of my backpack. And Reese says, hey... That's a Bible. I read that. Reese, tell me more about how you read the Bible. He's like, well, I read the Bible, and I know that Jesus loves me, and I trust him. I'm like, wow. We're committed to the same things. We're following the same virtues. We're living in harmony. That's what that's supposed to sound like. And that's just with two people right there. But when you get into a church community, like what you're sitting in right now, sounds a little bit more like that because you have way more people in the room, okay? You have way more people committed to the same harmonies as you. We're all different no's, but we're all the same harmony. We are accomplishing something bigger than 
ourselves. That's the goal. And that's what it sounds like when we actually begin to commit ourselves to the kingdom of Jesus. We, we become about the same values. We're, we're willing to be compassionate with one another. When we sin against one another, there's, there's margin there for forgiveness and grace because we've been given forgiveness and grace. And it turns out that that is like a theme from page one. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, they're playing the same harmony as us. And so when we read the book of 1 Peter, when we read it like we are today, and we find the same encouragement that the believers of his day were feeling, it's because we're playing the same harmony. We're committed to the same things. That's when we learn how to live in submission. We learn what it looks like to be spiritual temples, offering spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. All of these things make more sense when we're living in harmony the way that God has designed us to do. And we learn how to mourn with those who mourn, and we learn how to celebrate with those who celebrate, but we're all returning back to that same note, that same chord, that same harmony. And that doesn't make us all the same. We're different notes, but we are committed to the same harmony. That's the idea. And that's what I think Peter is actually trying to illustrate for us when he, when he talks about living harmoniously. Pastor David is going to be super proud of me, by the way, for that. I learned it on Wednesday. That's the idea. We are living in harmony. We're living in harmony. And when we live in harmony with one another, we begin to reflect the attributes in a much larger way than we could before much larger. There, there is so much more compassion in a church like this than there is from just one individual person. We reflect so much deeper the attributes of God when we do it as one community than we do as just one person. And so that's the first question we ask. That takes us a little bit down in elevation. We've asked ourselves, what is Peter trying to do? He's trying to see a community of believers return to the image of God, return to their initial purpose by living in harmony with one another. The next question takes us just another layer deeper. We can see, we can see we're trying, where Peter is trying to get, we kind of ask ourselves, well, what's the end goal here? Why? That's the question that we always land at. I know that, I don't want to say all, that's an overgeneralization. That's the question I know I always land at. Why? Why is that important? Why does that matter? And living in harmony is simply this. It, it, it's, it is the kingdom of Jesus. Living in harmony with the body is the kingdom of Jesus. This is the kingdom that Jesus has come to bring. In, in Matthew, it's all over Matthew that it, Matthew summarizes and simplifies Jesus' message into one sentence over and over. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's come to bring the kingdom. And when we live in harmony like that and we commit ourselves to these values, that is the kingdom that Jesus is trying to bring. And that is also the foretaste of heaven. That is what it looks like when, when Jesus prays the Lord's Prayer. And he says, Lord, I'm, we want heaven to, to be on earth. We, we want things to happen on earth as they do in heaven. This is the foretaste of that. It's when a community of believers is willing to commit together to these values of compassion and, and gentleness, of like-mindedness, of sympathy and humility towards one another. When we commit to that, we're playing a harmony much larger than ourselves and we come into a place where, where we can imagine ourselves actually trusting every person that we were sitting next to in a way that, that means that we could, like I said a moment ago, that if we were to sin against one another, there's enough margin for grace and forgiveness for each other, that we could trust the people around us in a way that regardless of what goes on in our lives for the next year, 
two years, 70 years, we know people would be by our side through the ups, through the downs. We would have the greatest memories of our lives together with the body of Christ, and we would walk through the lowest valleys of our days in this world with the body of Christ. That's the goal. That's, the, that's living in harmony, and that is a foretaste of heaven. That's what it will be like to be in perfect relationship with one another and with the Lord singing the same harmony. Now, I'm fully aware right now, I probably really sound like an idealist. I probably really sound naive. I probably really sound my age. I understand that. What I want you to know is that this part of the sermon, this where, where I'm getting to here, this is not coming from a, oh, that sounds like a good idea place. This is not coming, this is not an, an emotional diatribe for you this morning. That's not the goal. This is coming from actually wrestling with this entire book. It's like I said before, these virtues, this is not the first time you've heard these virtues if you've read the story. This, the, the, we're playing the same harmony, the same harmony of Abraham and his sons. We're playing the same harmony of Joseph's story. We're playing the same harmony of Moses on the mountain, Moses before the burning bush. We're playing that same harmony of King David, of Elijah the prophet, Elisha and his double portion. We're playing the same harmony. These are things that are, that are melodies throughout the entirety of Scripture. Peter is inviting us back into that. That's what he wants to see, and that's the why behind it. This is the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. So Peter envisions us living in harmony and being of one mind. Peter imagines the body in unity, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today is talking about unity. So you've made it through the longest introduction of your life, I imagine, we're going to get to the sermon note portion where you're actually going to get to fill in some blanks. So don't worry. Breathe a sigh of relief. You did it. Okay, we're going to talk about unity with the rest of our time together. So uh, this first part, we're going to talk about a little bit of simple math, and then we're going to talk through two principles about unity in the body. And so the first one is this, is peace plus harmony equals unity. Peace plus harmony equals unity. We get the idea of peace from this Psalm 34 uh, passage that Peter quotes, the middle of the passage is befriend peace or seek peace and pursue it. Find peace in your life. Find peace around you. And I believe that it's, it's that image of, of peace plus harmony equally, uh, making unity. I believe that that is the biblical imagination. I believe that that's where Peter is leading us when we talk about unity in the body. And here's why I believe that the peace part is really important is because you could be in harmony about something that's very destructive. Um, you could think of any terror organization. I've not been alive that long, and I've witnessed quite a few at this point already. Those people seem to be in harmony about things that are very destructive, things that, that are not biblically honoring that feels like an obvious example, but you can be in harmony and not be seeking peace. So this idea of seeking peace, having harmony with the believers, leads us into unity. That's what I believe. That's the simple math for us today. The first um, principle for us this morning is, is unity is not agreement, it's commitment. Unity is not agreement, it is commitment. And here's what I mean by that, is that you can be in unity with somebody and not agree about everything. Have you ever heard of marriage? People do it every day. You can be in unity and not be in full agreement. And I don't believe that that's what the Bible requires of us is to be in full agreement with one another. I don't believe that that's 
the requirement. In fact, the disciples are a very good example of this uh, in, in the scripture. The disciples had to commit to unity because they definitely didn't agree about plenty of stuff. The disciples, yes, they, they were being molded by Jesus. They were following him on the road, and they were also constantly bickering about who was going to be the best, who was going to be at the top of the food chain, who was going to be at the right hand, the strong hand of the Lord. And they even had the audacity to ask Jesus, hey, can I be up there, your number two guy at the end of time? And Peter, or sorry, and Jesus like rebukes them. It's like, have you even listened to anything that I've been saying over the last couple of years that we've been traveling together? Um, the disciples were always bickering about those types of things. So they didn't agree about everything, but they were in unity. Another example of that is a, a man named Simon the Zealot, who is mentioned only a few times in the Bible. Whenever you list out the disciples, he's always in the list, but he's never mentioned in any of the stories. Um, and you always forget Simon the Zealot because he's right next to James and John, the sons of thunder, which is a really cool name. And so you're like, Simon the Zealot, cool. Don't know what that means. Scoots on to the next person, right? Uh, and so Simon the Zealot, um, from what we can tell, and he's not to be confused with Simon Peter, different guy, lots of Simons in the Bible. Simon the Zealot, from what we can tell, belonged to the, the Zealots, which was like a first century, um, basically a Judean terror organization. It's basically what it is. I don't have another really good way to explain it, but basically the Zealots wanted to overthrow the Roman rule through violence. That was their goal. They were going to throw off their oppressors by killing them. That was the goal. And that's what this guy, I mean, his title is the Zealot. So I guess that's kind of what he thought and believed, okay? That's, that seems to be what he was aligning himself with. And he is sitting at a dinner table with a man named Matthew, who's a tax collector working for Rome. Do you think they had some awkward political conversations? Yes, they probably did. It probably sounded like all of our uh, Christmases and Thanksgivings. Probably sounded real similar. Uh, of course they didn't agree about everything, okay? But that doesn't mean that they weren't in unity. The, the words that I'm speaking to you today, the, the formation of church as we know it, is built on the back of, of the work of these men and of Jesus, Obviously, they were in unity, okay? It's, it's worked for 2,000 years at this point. They were obviously in unity with one another. And this leads me into uh, the second principle uh, of our time together, and the final one is the principle of first and second things, making non-issues into main issues, making non-issues into main issues. Now, there wasn't a good way to like shorten that sermon point, so you're, you're getting the whole thing, making non-issues into main issues. So these two um, ideas about unity go hand in hand. They really do. They're, they're locked at the hip. And here's why. It's because on one end, what I just explained is that, no, we don't have to agree about everything to be in unity. We can choose to be committed to compassion and gentleness, like-mindedness and sympathy for one another and remain in unity even if we don't agree about everything. On the other side of that extreme is, you know, there are some things that we do need to agree about. We do need to agree about if we're going to remain in unity. As, as the body of Christ, uh, we should probably agree on the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If we believe, uh, if we're going to follow this guy, and that's a story that's told about him, we should be pretty committed to that as the seminal point of history. If we don't agree on that, it'd be pretty hard to be unified as followers of Christ. It'd be hard to be unified if we weren't committed to his story. So, so there's ends of the spectrum here. We're trying, to, we're trying to hit ourselves in the middle, which is unity for us. Now, that being said, I'm not here to tell you what are main issues and, and secondary issues. I'm not here to tell you what they are, where the, where the line is drawn in the sand. I'm not here to do that. What I am here to say is talk about this this concept, because I think very often we do make mistakes in the church where we make a secondary issue, a, a non-main issue into a main issue, and we create divisions there that were never meant to be there. Do you know that there have been denominations created by asking questions that we were never asked to resolve? 
We've, there, there are certain things biblically that we were never asked to resolve. So, so when we think about like making like a, like, like a faith statement on sovereignty, like we were never asked to make a theological statement about God's sovereignty. We're asked to trust him because he's in control. Okay, like there's a difference there. And so, so, so often what, what I see is that we, we can get caught up in semantics and we can make non-issues into main issues. One of the um, preeminent writers about this was C.S. Lewis. Uh, if you know C.S. Lewis, you probably know him from the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, he wrote those books. He didn't make the movies. They're awful. Uh, don't watch them. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. They're part of my childhood. I'm just messing. Uh, C.S. Lewis also wrote a bunch of other stuff that is also really good. If you haven't read Mere Christianity, you should read that. Um, but C.S. Lewis kind of pioneered a lot of this thought process about first and second things, primary and secondary things. He refers to it as first and second things. And so I'd love to read this quote of his to you. And it's a little long. Just bear with me here. But he talks a lot about this. He says, the longer I looked into it, the more I came to suspect that I was perceiving a universal law about first and second things. He says this, the woman who makes a dog the center of her life loses in the end not only her human usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog keeping. C.S. Lewis famously loved dogs, but he knew they couldn't be the center of his life. The next part, the man who makes alcohol his chief good loses not only his job, but his palate and all power of enjoying the earlier and only pleasurable levels of intoxication. C.S. Lewis famously loved beer. Uh, of course, this law has been discovered before, but it will stand rediscovery. Apparently, the world is made that way. You can't get second things by putting them first, and you can get second things only by putting first things first. Put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first, and we lose both first and second things. When we make secondary things primary, we divide ourselves over things we were never meant to divide over. We make our lives about things that our lives were never meant to be about, and we live unfulfilled ways. We don't altogether find the harmony that Peter is calling us to find. We're unable to invite others into the harmony that Peter is calling us into. This harmony is about living for something larger than ourselves or larger than our wants but living for something bigger than that. That's what Peter is calling us into. And I don't say these things just to rant about them. What I, I say these things because I want us to be reflective over our perspective of our lives in the world. Because this, this, isn't, this is designed to encourage you. I want to encourage you this morning. But, but I, I, similar to Peter, I want to call us into reflection. Is living in harmony something that we're, we're committed to? Are these attributes, this soup, so to speak, is, is that something that we're becoming? Is it? So we're called to not just as individuals, but as a community together. I think an easy example of the, of the secondary things and primary things is, is the Pharisees in Scripture. So the Pharisees were the Jewish leaders of the day, uh, of Jesus' day, uh, and they were experts in the law and the Torah and experts in, in all of the Hebrew and Jewish writing. Uh, and, and they were so focused on the law. They were so intent on keeping the law that they missed the man who was going to fulfill it. They were so intent on making the law God that they missed God in human flesh, which was Jesus. They missed it because they were so intent on making something that wasn't supposed to be the end-all, be-all into everything for them. They were playing a harmony. It wasn't the same chord. It wasn't the same chord. And so they were so focused on something that, that wasn't altogether what their lives were supposed to be about, and they missed the thing that had come to save them, Jesus himself. They missed their own 
salvation in that sense. So we, in the same way, we cannot allow secondary things to become primary. We have to keep primary things primary, and that is Christ and Him crucified. Paul understood this. In his letter to the Corinthians, he says this, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery or the gospel of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. That is what we're committed to. That's what it looks like to make primary things primary. We're not here to, to manipulate people into knowing Jesus. We are here to proclaim that He has died and resurrected out of love for us. That's what we're here to talk about. And so a good rule of thumb um, as, as we consider in our lives what it looks like to have first and second things, primary and secondary, as we look at what it looks like to, to commit to unity and not just agreement, what our goal should be is to lead with love and non-issues. We should be leading with love and non-issues. It is okay. There is enough nuance in this room to disagree about things. We do not have to agree about politics. We do not have to agree about football. We don't have to. But when our goal is unity based on commitment, we know that we can trust each other and love each other and know each other regardless of what we disagree about. That's what, that's what living in harmony is about, is knowing that there is something bigger that we're living for, that we are committing ourselves to as a community. And that's what Peter invites us into. That's what I want to invite us into as well. And so I'll have you bow your heads and close your eyes in this moment.